0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Growing in Grace. As we continue our series on suffering, we pray that the study of these topics remain fruitful for you as they have for us. Suffering has been an intricate part of humanity's existence since Adam and Eve first sinned and fell from the presence of God. As we mentioned before, it is primarily a product of sin and evil in our world. However, even with this reality, suffering in and of itself does not have to be a purely negative experience. It's fair to say that no one in their right mind enjoys pain and suffering. No one enjoys loss and heartbreak. But that being said, when we take a closer look with the proper perspective, we will see that pain, whether spiritual, physical, or mental, is always productive in some fashion or another. Whether we allow it to produce strength or weakness falls securely within our faculty of choice. To be clear, I know this sounds incredibly simplistic, and I am by no means saying that this is an easy choice to make and apply. We all have suffered in ways that are near impossible to put into words. Whether it be the loss of a loved one, the exhaustion of ongoing physical pain, or even the seemingly hopeless waves of anxiety and depression, everyone has been impacted by such things along with much, much more. Scripture is filled to the brim with simple truths like this that are incredibly difficult to apply, and the reality is that the constant of suffering is one that we cannot escape, nor should we. So how should we respond to this? Well, just as it is important with any spiritual matter to have proper perspective, suffering is no exception. And as always, this perspective is only found within the pages of Scripture. Unfortunately for the average churchgoer, This is becoming increasingly more difficult due to the fact that biblical literacy is on the decline and false teachers are on the rise. Take your pick of any of the top celebrity pastors and you will find one cohesive and dangerous message. You deserve and should have in this life health, wealth, prosperity, and power. One such pastor is that of Stephen Furtick. With an average weekly attendance of 11,000 people, he says, quote, we don't teach from books of the Bible because it gets in the way of evangelism. We don't offer different kinds of Bible studies because it gets in the way of evangelism. We don't teach doctrine because it gets in the way of evangelism. If you want to be fed God's word or have the Bible explained to you, then you are a fat, lazy Christian and you need to shut up and get to work or you need to leave this church because we only do evangelism, end quote. Ferdix' mentor and megachurch pastor Craig Grishel says, quote, If you don't know him, being God, you can. If you used to be close, you can be close again. Getting to know God is not difficult, and it isn't about a bunch of rules. Yes, God wants obedience, but he wants your heart even more. The pathway to your greatest potential is straight through your greatest fears, end quote. Joseph Prince, another megachurch pastor and self-proclaimed prophet, says, quote, You are destined to reign in this life. You are called by the Lord to be a success, to enjoy wealth, to enjoy health, and to enjoy a life of victory. It is not the Lord's desire that you live a life of defeat, poverty, and failure, End quote. Joyce Meyer also weighs in on this topic where she says, quote, I am not poor, I am not miserable, and I am not a sinner. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is what I was, and if I still were a sinner, then Jesus died in vain. I'm going to tell you something, folks. I didn't stop sinning until I finally got it through my thick head that I wasn't a sinner anymore. End quote. Finally, Joe Osteen, another recognizable name, says, quote, In dealing with people for several years now, thousands of people, one thing I can tell you is that 99.9% of people are not bad, end quote. He goes on to say that, quote, God wants us to prosper financially, to have plenty of money, to fulfill the destiny he has laid out for us, End quote. You can see that we are constantly bombarded by this prosperity gospel from the radio to TV and to countless websites. They would have you believe that you and I have been designed for earthly success, earthly wealth, and earthly power. I do agree with them on one thing. We are absolutely designed. But it is not for the purpose that they preach. In the opening passages of Genesis, we are given the wonderful and awe-inspiring account of God unfolding creation piece by piece. From the tiniest microbes to the very governing laws of nature, the power and splendor of God are on full panoramic display. He speaks and stars, planets, and life itself springs into existence. Whereas the voice of God is the vehicle used to call forth most of creation, we see something different when Adam and Eve are created. Starting in chapter 1 and verse 26, we see, quote, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our own likeness, to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock and over all the earth itself and every creature that crawls upon it. So God created man in His own image. in the image of God, He created him. male and female, He created them End quote." This passage in and of itself is an incredible statement that is hard for us to wrap our minds around, that mere dust, and later a rib, can be formed into the very image of God. This showcases what the hand of God does when it moves. Adam and Eve, along with every human being, both born and unborn, have been handcrafted by the Creator. This is no accident. Accidents do not exist in Scripture. This was an intentional, loving, intimate, and miraculous act of a glorious creation marking the pinnacle of the universe, elevating the worth and purpose of humanity above all else. His reflection resides in all of us. Just how clear that reflection is, is reliant on the depth of our personal relationship with Him. The gravity of this one passage sends shockwaves through the entirety of Scripture, and we would be wise to cling to it to better remember the dignity of man and the one who assigns it. Martin Luther King, Jr. spoke on this issue, stating quote, The whole concept of the image of God is the idea that all men have something within them that God injected, and this gives man a uniqueness, it gives him worth, it gives him dignity. And we must never forget this. There are no gradations in the image of God. Every man from a treble white to a bass black is significant on God's keyboard. Precisely because every man is made in the image of God. One day we will learn that. We will know one day that God made us to live together as brothers and to respect the dignity and worth of every man. End quote. Theologian and preacher Francis Schaeffer compliments this in his own words saying, quote, "People today are trying to hang on to the dignity of man, but they do not know how to do it because they have lost the truth that man is made in the image of God. We are watching our culture put into effect the fact that when you tell men long enough that they are just machines, it soon begins to show in their actions. You see it in our whole culture, in the theater of cruelty," and the violence of the streets, and the death of man in art and in life, End quote. More importantly, Jesus himself addresses this very issue in his earthly ministry when we see him masterfully navigate the attacks and tricks of the Jewish leaders of his day. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus is confronted yet again over the issue of taxes of all things. Picking up on verse 13, we see, quote, And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is on this? They said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to him, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but render to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Quote. Jesus wasn't saying that money, taxes, or government were outside of God's ownership. Instead, he was saying that the most important possession God wants offered to him is that which bears his image, us. Unfortunately, we have been stolen, corrupted, and enslaved by Satan, sin, and death to the point where this image is unrecognizable. However, one thing is clear. You have been designed intricately. We are met with many other ideas of what that design is, even from early childhood. As we get older, we are drawn into things like pop culture and social media that groom us to think we need to look, act, talk, dress, and perform in a way that is approved by the world, and that that somehow gives us worth and value. This while being conditioned for instant gratification, while being taught by mainstream science that we are a product of chance, making us more like children of some ancient asteroid or comet than a child of a loving and perfect God. These ideas are incompatible with the truth of the Bible. Is it any wonder that we grow up with a non-existent self-esteem, empty pride, and an identity that is tied purely to performance? Scripture tells us that we are to walk as imitators of Christ and be examples of His image, but what does that really mean? Wasn't Jesus perfect, strong, persuasive, loving, powerful, and prosperous? Well, yes, He was. But in this life, we are not called to identify with any type of worldly glory that can be conjured up by twisting and contorting scripture. No, when we read the account of Christ's life, it is that of servitude, pain, heartache, exhaustion, persecution, and a constant expression through that of obedience. What the world calls poverty and weakness is not the enemy. Sin is the enemy. And just as Jesus did, we should take every step necessary to destroy it in our lives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 2, it says, quote, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. End quote. Again, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-2 through 2 and 12-13, through 13 say, quote, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the human passions, but for the will of God. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Quote. Last time we looked at a passage in First Peter to help us focus and wrap our brains around this topic. The theme of that passage in First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one through twenty-five, is the suffering of Christ Himself. It says, quote, "For you have been called for this purpose." Since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his footsteps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls, End quote. In this wonderful passage, Peter emphasizes two categories of truth. First is the blessing of every Christian, identification with Christ and its resulting privileges. However, to keep us from assuming our blessings as Christians will result in our being loved and respected by the world, Peter also emphasizes that we will suffer. In fact, 1 Peter, along with many other books, clearly show us that those who are most blessed in the faith suffer the most. The Christian life is a call to glory through the journey of suffering. That's because those in Christ are inevitably at odds with their culture and society. All evil systems are actively at odds with the person, work, and words of Christ. The Apostle John echoed Jesus when he said that a person can't love the world and love God. James, the brother of Jesus, said that whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy to God. That makes the Christian a problem to the society in which he or she lives. We live as aliens in a foreign system. Peter's readers knew both the blessings of life in Christ and the suffering of persecution. According to 1 Peter chapter 1, we see that they were scattered among different provinces like Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Peter knew of their struggle and wrote to comfort them and everyone else chosen by God for salvation, explaining that along with the privilege of salvation comes suffering. Peter's model of how to respond to suffering was Christ Jesus. In his typical fashion, Peter boils all of this down very practically for us. Jesus's attitude towards suffering should be, and needs to be, our attitude. Verse 21 begins with the phrase, For you have been called for this purpose. The word for points back to the last part of verse 20. Quote, If when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. End quote. Christians are to endure the suffering because it pleases God. Verse 21 amplifies the idea by stating that Christians are specifically called to suffer. And that shouldn't surprise us. This is a common theme running throughout all of scripture. Our dark world resents and is often hostile towards the those who represent the Lord Jesus Christ. That resentment and hostility may be felt at certain times and in certain places more than others, but it is fundamentally there at all times to some extent. This is an incredibly hard topic for all of us to swallow. Nobody wants or loves to suffer. However, from the opening pages of Scripture to the closing chapters of Revelation, suffering is unavoidably tied to this earthly life and especially to that of the believer. Adam, Eve, Abraham, Moses, David, Jeremiah, Isaiah, and many, many more are constantly suffering and fighting conflict in their personal lives and in the world around them. Sometimes they give in to the suffering and sin, and other times they gloriously stand on the foundation of God and persevere. So what does it mean for us when we are called to be imitators of Christ? According to God's word, we are not only destined to suffer, but according to verses like Colossians chapter 1 verse 24, 1st Peter chapter 2 verse 21, 1st Peter chapter 4, and 2nd Corinthians 12, we are designed to suffer. Through the process of love, obedience, purity, and truth, we will be purified and strengthened by the pain in our life, no matter how horrific or overwhelming it may be. If you find yourself struggling on where to start, it is always wise to begin with your spiritual routine and support structure, read scripture, pray to your father, love and be loved by other believers, and apply what God reveals to you in scripture. It is remarkable what can be done with these simple beginning steps. You will start to see beauty, purpose, and glory even in your darkest days. So with this brief introduction to this massive topic— We can see clearly that Christianity is not now, nor has it ever been about prosperity, health, and wealth as this world measures it. It is about suffering in and for the image of our Lord. This is where we find purpose. This is where we find glory. This is where we find worth. And this is where we start to understand what it means to be living in the image of God. As Martin Luther wonderfully said, They gave our Lord a crown of thorns, why should we... Expect a crown of roses, end quote. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the blessings that you pour out onto us. Thank you for loving us enough to give us hardship, to give us trials, to put us through storms, so that we may be driven to you, falling at your feet for strength and hope. I ask that whatever storms may be on the horizon, that we can see them through the filter of your word. That we can see them as opportunities to not only live as imitators of Christ, but to reach out to those who are struggling, broken, and lost. Transform us into a church that is worthy of the calling that you have laid out for us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening. If you would like to see more of our content, please visit us at our website at sbbcpittsburgh.org and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We also have a YouTube channel where you can find the most recent sermons and the entire series of Growing in Grace. Simply type it in search South Broadway Baptist Church. You can also find Growing in Grace and Sermon Audio on all major podcasting platforms. Thank you again, and until we meet again, may God bless you and keep you.